You're listening to Rally DNA, episode 5, part 1. Meanwhile, back out on the stages, Armin is continuing to entertain. Toyota Germany have decided quite late in the day to contest the European Championship. So a maximum score is vital here. But they had not reckoned on the Austrian veteran Gott Leiker finishing so high up in the general classification. Anyway, enjoy an expert at his work. And welcome to another episode of Rally DNA. This week, we're privileged to have a very special guest with us, a driver who drove some of the most interesting cars from the Group A and the two-litre World Rally car era, Armin Schwartz. Thank you very much for giving us some of your time. Thank you for getting me on your podcast and uh, thank you uh, to, to look after rallying like you do. <laughs> That's it. Well, it's nice to share some, some stories and, and put them into a recorded medium for a bit of preservation. So thanks. We do appreciate it. So I guess we may as well start at, at the beginning. You know, how how did your interest in rallying come about? Did you was it were you very motorsport orientated growing up, or was it more focused on rallying? Did you have some in the family? How did that come about? Well, I didn't have anyone in the family who did some rallying, but uh, of course my father was uh, interested on uh, motor racing, on uh, motorbikes, on cars, um, and uh, there was in very very early time there was a. a an enduro race in uh, nearby our home and uh, I went there with my father and we, uh, I got fascinated just about controlling a, a bike and then I started enduro riding. Uh, later I, I got a job as a car technician and uh, was working in a workshop. Uh, at that time it was a Fiat dealership and uh, at the time uh, yeah, Fiat was quite big with the 131 uh, Fiat Abarth. And uh, of course, uh, there was straight away an interest in the owner of the workshop. He was rallying himself. So uh, it just got me into, uh, yeah, into the interest of rallying. I mean, that was going to be my next point, actually. The, the Fiat 131 Abarth, was that presumably your, your first uh, taste of a rally car, you know, driving it yourself? Well, at that time, I don't think it was really a rally car. You know, it was a car. <laughs> <laughs> and we made it to what we thought it is a rally car or it should be done like a rally car. But uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was the first touch uh, to do some rallying. Um, and, and it was uh, actually the owner's car. It was not my own. I didn't have my own car at the time. But as he was rallying himself, uh, the, he was uh, that kind, you know, that we could... Uh, even my my uh, colleagues they could uh, drive the car for fun, and you know it turns out that I I did the best out of it uh, from all of us, and then uh, yeah, I, I got a chance to do a rally with that car, and we finished quite good. Fantastic! I bet some of your mates are, are, are quite jealous of the career you got out of that car. <laughs> yeah, there was quite a, a, a challenge, you know, to get a car. <laughs> so uh, everybody was looking after after together drive uh, in that car and uh, yeah we just had fun at the time and, and we could play around with the car uh, it was was a really good time and from there then you you started driving the audi 80 quattro saloon car from there uh, how did that experience in the 131 lead to you know a more permanent place rallying uh, you know a different vehicle again you know i have to add a little story uh, because it's quite funny when I drove the Fiat, uh, it was like a, a not an Abarth version. It was like a, a Mirafiori, a, a stock um, rally car with a roll cage, some seats, and uh, a sump guard. Um, and uh, the the owner of the dealership, he uh, he find out that I was doing pretty good in that car. And at that time, uh, uh, Fiat Lancia Germany, they had a zero three seven rally car in uh, back in eighty five. And uh, he was trying to buy that car um, and they didn't want to sell him the car because they thought, you know, we, we will crash the car or, or yeah, not doing good with it. Uh, so he didn't sell the car end of the day. And when we, um, he got so angry that he said, look, try to find a, a, a good car, what you think it will, uh, will get you or lead you to success. And uh, actually then I got onto this Audi 80 Quattro idea 
and uh, we bought the chassis, just the chassis at that time. And we put a car together and uh, a couple of years later, um, the Fiat Lancia Germany, they have to find out and swallow that, you know, I was beating their factory Lancia Delta twice in the German championship with the Audi Coupe and with the Audi 200. And, you know, then he found out who was the guy who wanted to buy the Zero to Seven to win the championship for him. <laughs> so that was, was pretty funny at the time to, to see how, uh, yeah, how things could go. And I did see scattered across your EWRC results. You did drive a 037 intermittently over the years. Presumably that's the car, is it? Yeah, that, that's not that car. No, okay. I, I, I bought the car myself later on uh, just because I, I really like this Italian rallying and rally time. Uh, you know, when you work yourself on those cars, you uh, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's your passion. You, it, that follows you all your life. Uh, with the car you started, you repair yourself, and uh, there has been Fiat, so I and Lancia as well, and uh, so I, I got quite fascinated about these Italian cars, and uh, the Zero to Seven I just take out, uh, you know, for fun events uh, from time to time. Great sounding car that as well. Love the sound yeah. of the twin charged engine on on that machine. It is yes. Yeah. Um, well, on a stick, keeping within the Group B realm, but but not quite as exotic, I dare say, at least in terms of country of origin. Um, you also drove a Metro 6R4 that year as well. What, what was that like? It must have been quite a contrast from the Audi 80, if nothing else. Yeah, it, it was a contrast. But to be honest, uh, for me, it was the, the, the most fantastic car at that point, because uh, with the Audi 80, uh, you had a limited uh, power. It was Group A. It was close to like a stock uh, uh, car. Um, and uh, we just, uh, in 86, we need to finish uh, at the last rally of this uh, European Championship, what I did. It's called uh, Mitropa Cup. I need to finish like second in, in this uh, rally in Germany. And that was not possible with the Audi 80 because uh, there has been so many Group B cars uh, starting uh, that we need to get a Group B car. And we actually, we, uh, we tried to get an Audi, but uh, we couldn't rent an Audi at that time. But the, um, there was nearby uh, the Schmidt Motorsport and Schmidt Motorsport, they prepared at that time for Eklund and for Mark Duet, uh, the Metro. And then uh, um, I got around there and they said, why, yeah, why you don't uh, rent a meter from us? You know, what would give you the possibility to, to win your championship? Um, and uh, when we did that and, and I had the chance to drive a, um, the, or the testing, uh, what I did, I had uh, a right-hand steered car. Uh, you know, what was totally new to me and it uh, was a totally weird feeling because I never have driven a, a right-hand steer car. Um, but uh, the power and the handling, uh, it was so much better than the Audi 80 at the time. And uh, I just enjoyed um, this ride in the Metro. And, uh, uh, you know, not many people have given me a good chance. You know, we finished with that car, uh, this rally. And uh, I, I told them we need to finish second. It was even more surprising to them uh, uh, why I've taken a metro. Say, well, you know, it was simply the best I could find, you know, and uh, somebody give me the best package. And it turned out, you know, it was right because we could uh, finish like second behind Michel Meton and uh, won the championship in a metro. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> and of course, you didn't, did get your hands on an Audi Coupe Quattro from there that you used to great effect uh, in the European Championship. Uh, the year after that, in 1987? Uh, yeah, I mean, it turns out in uh, end of 86, when we won this Mid-Europa Cup, that uh, Audi uh, got interest on my my driving, and uh, they just called me, you know, for an interview, and uh, I went there, and uh, physically, I went home with a factory uh, contract. Uh, what was, uh, yeah, it was a dream. And then I, I got a chance in 87 to drive for the Audi Coupe, what was not much different from the Audi 80, because it had the same uh, drive line, the same engine. Uh, it was just a different chassis. Uh, and we, we made all efforts to win the championship in 87, but we did. 
Uh, and then they, uh, yeah, they give me the Audi 200 for the following year, but I needed to do the German championship again in 88. And then we won the championship again uh, and got, uh, as, a, as a present, we got the REC rally in 88. That was my first WRC event. And I must admit, I, I, I've got a very big soft spot for that Audi 200 Quattro. I mean, was it, was it a challenge to learn to drive a car quite that large? I mean, it always looks preposterously massive to, to modernize. And did it feel that way at the time? Yeah, well, in, if you got into some twisty uh, stages, you know, it was not the best car for sure <laughs> from the size itself, but uh, it had an advantage. It was a very stable car and uh, the, the, let's say the size calmed everything down. Uh, the car was not bouncing and kicking and uh, it, was, it was really uh, progressive to drive and uh, it, it was nice to handle. Um, yeah, it was a bit heavy probably, uh, but it had good power. Um, I think the biggest downside was that the engine was so far in front of the front axle. What give a huge understeer if it didn't go sideways. And I think that uh, created my driving style, what I, I kept throughout my entire career. Always tried to oversteer a car um, before it understeer or I could understeer. Uh, and that was coming from the Audi 80, uh, from the Audi 200 for sure. I mean, you had some really strong results in that car. I mean, that that trip to to the RAC, uh, fifth overall. I mean, that must have raised a few eyebrows, I imagine, at the time. Um, yeah, it was. You know, it uh, for for me it was good. And I I talked before I went. Uh, I had a talk with Walter Earl, and and he told me he said, "Hey, you you're gonna go with a taxi, you know, to the RAC rally." <laughs> <laughs> he said, don't think you know that will be easy or you, you, you have a chance on, on, on a good result because the car is so big. And at that time, even David Llewellyn and, and some other guys, they drove also an Audi 200 and they said, well, you know, that is not a rally car. And when we got to the REC, I, I, I just came there, you know, as, as German champion and I had all, yeah, all self-confidence with me. And it was just fantastic to, to do these forest stages. And I was fascinated about that. I had a very good co-driver with Arne Hertz, um, who has done the British Championship a long time, uh, for many years. So um, it could not have been any better. And uh, then I just uh, took out yeah, all the fun I had. Uh, I put it on the road. And um, the nicest thing was when we got to... Uh, some of the first stages, uh, and there has been this park stages still, and uh, there was always like a, a leaderboard, and uh, there has been like uh, little plates with names like Marco Alin and Joa Kankonen and Björn Waldegard, and everybody had his plate. And uh, I saw my name then at one of the stages on third position, but written with a pencil. <laughs> <laughs> and Arne turned over and he said, you know, next year you will have your plate, you know, if you carry on like that. <laughs> 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 this was, uh, yeah, it was really, it was great to see that uh, you have been right in the middle of these big names and uh, it made it even, even better. And in, in 1990, then you, you really firmly landed on the WRC stage with a you know a proper big factory effort. Presumably, you know your success in the German Championships led to quite a bit of buzz around your career at that time. Did TTE approach you for that drive, and, and or how did it come out come about? Yeah, at that point, uh, um, I, I I don't remember when it was exactly, but I think it was the uh, Acropolis Rally. I, uh, Ove Anderson came over one of the service points and at that time there was servicing everywhere. Uh, you know, you're just next side on the road, you did your servicing and the uh, Toyota was just across the road and Ove came over and he had a look on the uh, Audi 200 and had a talk with me and, you know, what, what are my plans and, you know, uh, doing pretty good. And he had an eye on me already on this REC the year before. And, you know, uh, yeah, if, if I would have an interest, you know, to, to talk to him because, uh, you know, they have been in Cologne. So for me, it was easy to drive there. And uh, then I, I went there with, uh, with a manager, what I had at that point, and, and we got to Cologne and uh, it was quite, quite fast. You know, we got to the point that I get a chance to drive for Toyota if I want. 
and uh, you know, yeah, and then I grabbed the chance. But uh, it it was not that easy because Audi at that time they went to Trans Am to the United States, and uh, I did quite a, a lot of testing with a Trans Am car at that point. And uh, it was fascinating because there they run like six, seven hundred horsepower, and then you get to a Group A car with let's say max 300 horsepower, 320, 330 horsepower. And it was fascinating to do that, but I get always very bored when I'm on a racetrack because, uh, you know, a lap by lap, the same thing. That was not just uh, me. And then uh, I, when, when the chance came up with Toyota, then I think it was, it was very quickly, it was clear. I want to stay in rallying. I want to go ahead with rallying and I want to drive for Toyota. It was a, a very significant car that uh, ST one six five shaped Salika. Um, presumably, both for you, for you, from your own personal viewpoint and also the wider championship. Was it a challenge learning to drive such a high tech car at the time? You know, with all the X track gear and things like that. To to be honest, uh, it was uh, it was not difficult at all. First of all, I had uh, very very good people surrounding me because. TTE was, you know, it was a team and they call it always the T, uh, uh, like an international team. I think at one point they have been like more than 20 different nationalities. And uh, all we had, you know, this, uh, let's say, uh, this talent to get a team together on a very international base and everybody was uh, being behind every driver and all the efforts. And when I did my first test in Rally Monte Carlo, uh, I, I still remember uh, it was in the Ardesh. And, you know, the, the first day, they just let me drive. And, you know, just drive like you think you should drive the car and, you know, have maximum fun with the car. And uh, it was so enjoyable because coming from this big Audi and then especially on asphalt, because it was an asphalt test, um, the the Toyota was, the Celica was so nimble and so easy to drive and so precise. And, uh, and even with this clutchback transmission, uh, you could adjust already, you could adjust your transmission, what you couldn't do on the Audi. Mm-hmm. And uh, all the little help, uh, and then also the help from the engineer, because, you know, I was a young driver. So uh, they had Waldegard in the team, they had Carlos in the team, you know, they had Ericsson in the team. Uh, Kennedy Ericsson was there, uh, you are Cancunen before. And I came there as like a nobody and they give me all the attention and they want to know as much as possible on their car. And uh, for me, it was uh, a gift, you know, telling them my feelings about the car. And then they integrated me in all their testing and, and uh, wanted to know everything. Uh, what give me a, 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 yeah, a quite a, a big push. Uh, to be uh, the, the test driver number one for them because I wanted to drive anything every day, any day they want me to be there. Because that was, uh, I, I felt that this was the way of developing my driving style um, to, to know more about the car, get my speed up and everything. And uh, that was great to come in there. Presumably that worked out pretty well because straight off the bat in your first uh, rally in that car, you had a fifth on Monte Carlo, first first rally in the new team with a new car. So definitely paid off. Yeah, it was was uh, was very good. I mean, we, uh, and also Monte Carlo, you know, it was some some rally, but I, I it was my first Monte Carlo that year. Um, and I, I just love it because it was so different and it was so challenging with all the different surfaces, uh, with slick tires on snow on ice. Uh, at that time, you could groove tires. You can cut what you want. You know, you, it was just endless, the possibilities you had. What was also uh, challenging because uh, you could also do a, a lot of mistakes. But again, I had a very good team and, and uh, behind me, uh, what guided me through Monte Carlo, and that was, was just fantastic. And presumably, your confidence in that car only grew. I mean, the following year, crowned by that, that outright victory in Spain, um, that must have been a phenomenal result at the time, especially given your illustrious teammate at the time as well. <laughs> yeah, but... You know that there has been, um, it, it was not just winning Catalonia. I, I think I could have won other rallies before, 
um, but I, I put too much in it. You know, there was too much effort. Like uh, if you see Portugal, I think I was leading uh, three times in a row Portugal, uh, but I went off, you know, stupid enough, uh, not thinking about how long the rally is and how demanding. Uh, at that time, it was uh, poor driving fun and uh, I wanted to, to grab any fastest time I could, um, not thinking about, you know, how long the rally was. But uh, um, then winning in, in Catalonia, it was actually, I was not supposed to go to Catalonia. I, I finished like, uh, I should finish second in San Remo. But then I had, uh, uh, Carlos had a problem with the transmission. And uh, yeah, he needed the points to win the championship or keep his chances alive on winning the championship. And then, uh, uh, yeah, the team has asked me, you know, to, uh, to make an early uh, check-in on the time control to give Carlos more points. And we finished like seven in San Remo. What was uh, really a hard one to swallow because San Remo, I, I did really good. And I think that was, was one of my really good rallies in that year. Uh, but I have given away, you know, this podium position uh, for Carlos's points. And then for that, uh, Ove told me, look, uh, you're going to go to Catalonia. And uh, we went to Catalonia and uh, we lead from the start, we lead the rally. Uh, and uh, yeah, and then when second day appear and Carlos's car didn't restart in Park for me, you know, I know that was my chance to win because I, I was sure if, uh, if Carlos would have been like second or third, I, I need to do the same thing again. But if they would have done it, if I'm leading the rally and I could won the rally, I don't, I don't think Ove would have taken that away. Um, but anyway, we won it and uh, it was good. I, I, very good. I mean, I, I imagine your that that sort of that relationship with Ove must have been a driving factor, if nothing else, because his his origins as a rally driver himself, he must have understood what the what the consequences were and how he could never make you give that back as it were well you know Ove was a very very special person I I would say he treated all his drivers you know like his sons uh, you know it was uh, it, it was a, a familiar uh, atmosphere uh, you know he could come around to you and say look uh, all damage goes to my bill you go you know and then you know uh, it, it was up to you and there was a lot of damage you know <laughs> so they, they, you can imagine uh, if you have like open fire uh, you know you were very creative as a driver and you put everything in it and and that was that was good even in very difficult times you, uh, he always backed you up you know and uh, he always understood what is behind uh, what you need and and where you struggle and you know i think sometimes he he had a harder time than the driver when he went off, uh, really to, yeah, to, to, uh, to by, uh, he didn't know really what to, what to help and how to support, but, you know, he was behind you. Uh, and uh, next rally was your next chance. And with that good relationship you, you had with Anderson, would you, you know, you, you left the team in 1992. Did you think there was a chance to maybe extend that time? With Toyota, because it seems like you were very happy with your relationship with the team, or was it a case of going to pastures new and 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 trying to move on from there? Yeah, I, I mean, I would, to be honest, if I would know that Carlos uh, would go two weeks after I I have left to Mitsubishi, if he was going going to uh, lunch here, uh, I probably would not switch to Mitsubishi, but. Uh, you know, Andrew uh, came up and he uh, he needed somebody to uh, yeah to set up the Lancer, uh, and uh, yeah he probably knew my capability as test driver and and also as driver, and uh, he made us a, a, an offer. And uh, for me, it was always a bit difficult in Toyota because uh, Carlos had like Repsol with him, and uh, of course. He, he was world champion in the team and, you know, uh, he had, yeah, he had more backing from sponsors, not from the team. I mean, the team and, and Ove also treated everybody very equal. But, um, for example, when we start the season, I know there, there will be a Monte Carlo for me. There will be a, a Portugal rally for me. Um, but I wasn't sure if I'm going to go to Safari and to Sweden. 
Um, but then it was like Carlos, uh, Bjorn Valdegard, uh, Mikhail Eriksson, they had the first two or three rallies and I had one or two. And then I came back in Corsica because they know that I, I have been fast in, on asphalt and they want me to prepare Corsica very well while uh, yeah, safari was going on. And um, then I was down on one rally and uh, end of the day, I want to win the championship. And for winning the championship, I need to get all the rallies. And uh, I, I knew uh, as long Carlos would be there, there, yeah, it would be not possible to be number one driver. And uh, with Mitsubishi, I, I saw the chance to, to get this. So I went away and by surprise, you know, Carlos was leaving to lunch at that point. Uh, yeah, and uh, then I, I should have stayed with Toyota, of course. Well, I mean, on the subject of Toyota, 92, you drove the, the second Celica GT4, the ST185. Uh, am I right in saying that was quite a tricky car to tame the handling of, at least, at least in the early days? Is that, would that be fair? Um... I don't think it was that that tricky on handling, but uh, if you if you review all the let's say Silicas or all the Toyotas, including the Corolla, I think Toyota always needed a while to get the car in gear, and uh, uh, also the the Celica the one six five it was driven by uh, Juha and Kenneth and 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 Valdegard and Carlos for already two years before they got their first victory with the car. So it was like a kind of uh, process, you know, to get a car right. And, and other manufacturers, they came out of the box and bang, you know, mm -hmm. win the first rally with it. Uh, and when they changed the model, it was with the 185, it was very similar. Uh, it should have been a better car, but it struggled in certain areas, you know, to get really ahead of Lancia. Mm -hmm. And it was only Lancia and Toyota at the time. Uh, Mitsubishi, they competed, but it was like with the Galant and, you know, it, and, and Mazda was there and, and, and Nissan, but they have been not on the same level. Mm -hmm. And uh, then Toyota needs some time to get this car going. And once the 185 was done, the, the 205 came and that was the same story. You know, that it was on the beginning, there was big struggle uh, by using a, a super strut front suspension. What was, poor. I think everybody wants to see that in the bin, but nobody <laughs> was on the car, you know, and uh, it was just, um, yeah, it was forced by, also by, by Toyota to, to use the transmission, uh, the suspension. And um, if you see that, uh, now with a modern car, when uh, Tommy launched, relaunched Toyota in, in rallying, that was totally the opposite direction. They came out and they have been fast and reliable. And in the past, it was, yeah, they needed time. And uh, yeah, of course, that was my period of driving with them. Uh, and the 185 just needed time to, to get developed. Am I correct in saying that at some point in 92, the team had to uh, uh, lock the center differential 50-50 split with the ST185? Yeah, but uh, that was not long. It was just, you know, to, to, uh, to try out certain things. Uh, and, and it has been not a benefit. I mean, they tried to get away from this clutch back. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it, it got even worse. Uh, they did not go away from the clutch pack. They put on a hang-on clutch, like the hook on the 205. Uh, to, uh, yeah, it was the Silica 205. And then at one point, we had almost like three, uh, four differentials in the car. Because you had a front differential, a center differential, a hang-on clutch, and a rear differential. Uh, what was, uh, who, who need that? Yeah, but it was on the car. That's a lot of cogs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of adjustments, a lot of headache. <laughs> yeah, it must have been very hard to just get all that set up and working just so. So you can imagine exactly what you're saying when you have all these things going into a new car. It's, it's never going to be right straight away anyway. Yeah. Just at yeah. that time, we had a lot of development, a lot of new technology arriving into the sport too across all the teams. Mm -hmm. So you know, it's, it's, it's no wonder that cars don't 
You know, there is, there is. Uh, when I, I got back from Mitsubishi and uh, it was one thing when uh, uh, always spoke to me about this 205 car because the relationship never ended if you leave the team, you know, it was always a relationship. And so we had good uh, talks and discussions even when I was with Mitsubishi. And obviously he could see what I did with the Lancer, you know, in, in uh, one, year, one year development. Um, the second year in, in uh, 2094, uh, we have been leading Monte Carlo, you know, the car was fast. We, we could really go uh, for the championship if they would have done so, but it was seven, seven rallies, I think we did. Um, and then Owe asked me about this development on the SD205, um, if, if I would have an interest, you know, to come back. Uh, and uh, yeah, I came back and the first test I did in, in the French Alps, uh, I think Didier and Juha was testing already for a while with the, with the car. And um, this uh, front axle was so difficult to feel, uh, this super strut. And uh, after the first test, uh, first evening, I talked to Owe on the phone and he said, what do you think about the car? And I told him, I said, I think we are so far away and you know it was that silent on the other side, and and he said, "I hope you are wrong." Uh, and we had talks in Cologne, and uh, and we test actually on on a very similar road where we have been with the Mitsubishi the year before. And uh, then maybe you remember we did the first stage in Monte Carlo, uh, Didier, Juha, myself, uh, Le Molino, and uh, it was a mixed stage with some ice patches, snow patches. And we got to Antre, I think it was on track, uh, the, the town where the, uh, the service was. And we have been like one minute behind the lunch here on first stage. And then Owe came over and he said, shit, you are right, he said, what you told me before Christmas. And uh, that was, you know, like, uh, like it could go. If, if you don't get uh, the car right, uh, you know, nobody could, uh, could go faster than the others because everybody was on a very very high level and you need good a good car and it's still surprising as well at that part of Delancia's life it has to be said that it was still so competitive it still amazes looking back that Delancia should shouldn't have been as competitive as it was in the early 90s too uh, I think they, they did just a, a good job I mean, to be honest, they, it was an, an, a good team, uh, a long history in, in rallying. They knew all the rallies, they knew all their technical uh, things. The cars have been reliable, very, very little technical issues, a very good driver lineup. And yeah, all, and, and also the, like uh, uh, Marco used to say, you always something in the pocket, you know. <laughs> 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 so when they needed something more, there was something more. <laughs> so uh, and and I think that was the that was their uh, uh, let's say their their uh, success. Uh, moving briefly, because every part of me wants to jump and carry on talking about the ST two hundred five because it's a pet topic of mine. But moving back to to the ninety three rally art spell. That must have been a wonderful car to develop because it seemed to really be improving in leaps and bounds, almost on a rally by rally basis. Uh, and you had some fantastic results yourself. But I mean, you you were leading the RAC in '93 in the snow, I believe, in the the Evo One. Um, yeah. Would you tell us a bit more about how the car, you know, came to be and how you how you how you thought about it? No, the car definitely had uh, a big. Uh, potential and uh, I think Tommy showed it later on because it was based on that car and, and Tommy won four times the championship you know uh, after I left back to Toyota and that was you know that was a big pill to swallow you know to leave that car there to find out that uh, Mitsubishi was willing to do all the rallies what they never disclosed to me you know that they will do a full season uh, and then Tommy came you know and boom here we go um, doing the full championship. But anyway, that, that is part of the, the game, you know, mm -hmm. that's, that's, uh, that's what it is. But uh, coming to rugby and rally art, it was a, a very small team compared to, uh, to Toyota. 
uh, of course, the um, let's say the the, the 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 team, how it was run and managed, it was totally different than Cologne because Cologne, I think they have been already at that point uh, 150, 180, or maybe even 200 people that I don't remember. But you came to rugby and there have been like 30 guys. But, you know, 30 guys together who really have been like one man. You know, it was so strong because they, they, the team did all the efforts. They knew where they could be strong and, and everybody, everybody was putting everything into it. And uh, I think at some point, uh, Andrew was just uh, trying, you know, not to, to give a lot, but to ask for more and make people hungry. He knew how to do it. And... Uh, um, the effort was good and the team was good and I enjoyed those two years with Mitsubishi. I enjoy a lot. I mean, I still have contact to some of the mechanics, see some of the engineers from time to time and, you know, it's always a good good time to talk about it because it was also a family yeah. like Toyota, but much smaller. They certainly seem to have their own way of, of doing things as well. I mean, one example being the they were the only team to go with an electromagnetic active differential which I gather was quite a, a unique, what demanded a unique for, for style of driving, or is that, would that be correct or, or not? Well, they had on the beginning, they had a Sprag system, mm -hmm. actually like a, a, a bicycle. Uh, you, it pulls forward, but if you lift off, you know, it was, it was not connected to the rear axle. Uh, what had his advantages on turning, um, but it has also downsides uh, when you had like a fast braking, uh, quick step on the brake, hard braking, uh, your back end always was moving away yeah. before, you know, it was grabbing the front axle because they had like a, a like you say, like a solenoid uh, who actually put some pressure on the differential to close it. Um, but this was an, a, a Japanese engineering and development thing. And I think they know exactly what they want to have on the end of the day. Um, but uh, the, the Japanese... I must say, I, I really love to work with them because they have been always honest with you. But on the other hand, they never would disclose something what they think where it should go because they could fail. And then it, it turns out like they lie to you. It didn't, didn't go the way like they promised you. Mm -hmm. So there was no promises. You know, it was all very thought, well, guys, you know, now you need to do something with this solenoid. You need to go faster and this and this. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, but it was never action, what you could see. But under the surface, they have been developing and sinking and putting everything in. Uh, it was just a different way of working than uh, with Toyota. And when you went to Mitsubishi as well, you found yourself with a new co-driver who, interestingly enough, I suppose when you went back to Toyota, also went to Toyota, but not alongside you in the form of Nicky Grist. Yeah, yeah. With, with Nicky, yeah, it, it was, um, you know, it, it was, I have really to think about it. It was, at that time, uh, I, I, I needed to, to get a new co-driver because I, I had, uh, my co-driver went with somebody else. And then I, uh, I got a chance to, to drive with Nicky because uh, he, at that time he was also as new as me in the World Championship. But Nicky has been always a, a very, let's say, a, a focused and, and ambitious co-driver. And uh, it was a very good fit. And, and with Nicky, I had a very good time. You know, we, we share really good times. And, but his aims have been higher what turns out right, you know, he wanted to be world champion as fast as he could, you know, and, and uh, was just, yeah, getting from one driver to the other one, ending up with calling, winning, winning the world championship, you know, and uh, uh, yeah, but it was a very, very good uh, relationship with Nicky and uh, he helped me a lot. And I was just curious as well, you've sat with a number of, of, of guys over the years, like a lot of drivers, but I was even watching some footage of you uh, with Manfred Heimer as well. And he, despite being a fellow German, also delivers your pace notes in English. Was that always a decision of yours or, or was that, you know, did that start earlier in your career? Did it start with Nicky or was that something you always had your pace notes delivered to you in English? Uh, it started actually when I drove with Arne, uh, because uh, I drove in 91, I drove a season with Arne Hertz. And uh, what, um, what I find out, uh, looking always and listening to other pace notes, but you know, at that time you didn't have so many onboards. Uh, 
<laughs> you really, uh, it was not that you went on the internet and you could see onboards from anyone. Uh, so uh, whenever I had a chance, I had a look on, on onboards from other drivers to see, you know, uh, how the notes are, what, you know, what you could see as an advantage to take that. And what I find out in the English lang language, um, it, everything is shorter and more precise. In German, everything is like long. You describe things. And in, in English, you get just to the point. And uh, it's much shorter and uh, you can add more things with shorter uh, talk of your co-driver. And uh, when I start doing that with Arnie, uh, I also I saw that I could use like international ice crews. Uh, it was more, yeah, you had more possibilities and it paid back, you know, when I, I start driving with uh, uh, Nikki. Uh, or with Denis Chirode. Uh, and then I also, I kept it uh, when I had a German co-driver because I was so much into English base notes that uh, it was shorter to, uh, yeah, to, to read, to understand, to write, to describe, and it had many, many benefits. Fascinating stuff. I mean, yeah. So it's an aspect that, that, that me as a, as, a, as a Brit never considers, you know, the, the, the influence that a different language could have on the ability to convey information quickly from a pace notes point of view. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Manfred, for sure, you have your difficulties to understand the English because he speaks so much Bavarian English <laughs> that you really need to <laughs> listen carefully what he's saying. But uh, yeah, but he delivered in English and we had uh, throughout my entire career, I had English base notes uh, starting uh, with Arnett. Moving back to TTE in 95, you must have quite mixed thought of feelings about that season because on the one hand it's it's infamous for the st205 and the 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 boost issue uh but on the other it's it, it seems to be a car that that completely came of age and eventually grew to suit your style perfectly Can, the following year being the the best example for that i mean did you have any inclination about how how effective the st205 Celica would become when you first drove it presumably not <laughs> No, we did not, for sure not. I mean, we, we knew only right from the beginning. Uh, I knew it would be a, a difficult season if they would still uh, keep this like super strut front axle um, because there was like, uh, there have been so many linkage uh, and, and, and it, it was just difficult to control and, and to make it work. And uh, let's say in, in uh, like mid-season, like uh, New Zealand, uh, yeah, New Zealand, Australia, I think that the car was at his best, but it could not go better. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but uh, at his best, it was still not good enough, you know, to win the championship. Mm -hmm. And uh, also throughout the season, there it turns out that uh, Didier had a, a pretty good chance to win, but theoretically a chance. And with Juha also uh, having still a theoretical chance to win, but I was not in the position to win uh, the championship in that year. Uh, and um, then I also, I was again more a test driver and trying and trying and trying to find things. Um, but end of the day, uh, yeah, where a decision was made, you know, to, to use this kind of air restrictor or not, that anyway, that I think nobody know i mean not at least from the driver's lineup or something that that has been done by high management uh, decision or in japan or i i have no idea i can't tell um but end of the day uh yeah there have been so much force um, and pressure uh, from so many sides to win the championship that of um, obviously the engineering decides you know to yeah to do something like that I imagine it's it's something that that you have probably been asked about more than you'd like to more than you'd like to of the actual the the, the turbo boost issue and increasingly in recent years um, as people have become more aware of it. Well, it, it was uh, definitely not throughout the year. Mm -hmm. I I think it only came up uh, towards end of the season when uh, when it was clear you know without an extra boost you're not going to win. Uh, the championship and that is like uh, uh, Marcus says you know always something in the pocket uh, I think it was very obvious that not only uh, at that time 
Toyota had something. I think it was earlier on also other manufacturers, they had something what, you know, has been not disclosed or, you know, it was a little bit fishy, but uh, hmm, uh, nobody really know where to look and what it was. But, you know, all of a sudden, wow, that car is going good, you know. Uh, and of course, uh, engine power is the easiest thing to, yeah, to give, get you faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, all other efforts uh, more costly uh, and more difficult. And here, uh, nobody, uh, nobody on, on the driver's side really know what it was. Uh, I mean, it was obvious there was something that get the car faster. Um, but also, you didn't have it like uh, everywhere and all the time. And, and especially in, in Catalonia. I must say, I was very surprised when that came out uh, that, you know, there's something wrong with, the, with an air restrictor. That, that was a surprise to many of the, the team members anyway. I can imagine. Um, and just briefly, in terms of super strut, I've heard that compared to the, the, trying to setting it up on a rally car was akin to wrestling with, like we're wrestling with an octopus. Um, <laughs> was it was it just a case of too much going on, too many bearings, too many adjustment points, and, and just too tricky a beast for the grimy world of rallying? Yeah, I, I think it made it, it put some extra weight on it. Um, it had so many uh, bushes and 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 shims and uh, and bearings, and and they were out fast, and then you got play and. Uh, it took your feeling away. Um, you you didn't have a, a good feeling. You didn't know uh, is it gripping now or not? Does it turn really like you want? You know, and um, that that made you unconfident. And uh, if you're unconfident, uh, you are losing time. And and what I find out and what I still see, uh, I think if if you can get a driver confident. As an engineer, you don't need to look for the last second in your development because the driver will gain you this second what you're searching for for a lot of money when he's confident. If you make a lot of searching and the driver gets unconfident, you will have to look really where the second is because the driver will not find it for you. So it, it's very, for me, it's very easy. You are confident, you find time. You're unconfident, you lose time. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And, and were you still using Superstrut for your European Championship year in 96, or had you swapped for conventional, I believe, was it Olin's, I believe, that, that a lot of the guys swapped for on the ST205? Uh, they did, but we had uh, a lot of uh, leftover uh, stuff from the year before, and we run the car uh, basically like it was in, in 95. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we could not change, and there was not much development going on. And uh, uh, for me, it was anyway a very difficult uh, situation, uh, as for you, and for, for Didier as well, because uh, we need to sit at home uh, but you know that, that has been never my strong side you know to sit at home and be quiet so i i've been running like crazy to tte to then to toyota germany and then going to castrol and you know and it, it was always uh, a yes from toyota germany a yes from castrol uh, a yes from tte but uh, i know from japan you we could not rally that year and then uh, end of the day, uh, I, I got through with Castrol because Castrol has been very supportive uh, this year. And they said, OK, you know, we can think of uh, putting a budget in the European Championship. But, you know, the European Championship when we started, it was already like uh, almost half of the season was done. And that year you had still this coefficient rallies with coefficient 20, 10, 5. Uh, so we actually we pick only the coefficient 20 rallies, uh, starting with, uh, I think it was Ypres was the first rally. And uh, then rallies like the Manx rally, uh, rally Germany, Cyprus and, and, and rallies like that. And to be honest, in, in like uh, in, uh, on the Manx rally, I got there and it was like in the WC, uh, the speed was the same because I face Bertie Fischer, who know every single meter of this rally. 
And, you know, it wasn't easy at all because people thought the European Championship, hey, that is an easy task. You know, you get there, you win the rally, you win all five rallies we have on, on our budget and, you know, you're European champion. I face everywhere, I face a local champion, but big time. It was Freddie Loikes in, in Ypres. I, I just could not beat him by seconds, you know, but I couldn't beat him. With Bertie, you know, it was a big battle. And then uh, I think he had a turbo or an engine or something. Uh, and I won the rally. But, you know, it, it was a big battle and it wasn't easy to race him. Um, in, in Rally Germany, we had a big problem. Uh, we had a broken turbo. And, you know, we, we, you need to fight. We need to fight all those rallies to win the championship. And, yeah, we won at the end of the day. But... Uh, it was like a, a little bit a mind changer to me because I, I knew if you, whatever level you drive, uh, you need to go at your, at your best. You cannot just get there and think, I have been in world championship, you know, I, I, I get there and win. It's just not there. I think you were you were somewhat lucky to come up against Bertie in the Manx, however, though, because it seemed to be the one that Bertie could just never win. He would <laughs> always be struck by some you know, mechanical issues or some bad luck on it. So if it was possibly, you know, something like a Killarney or, or Donegal, you might have had another matter on your hands, but it was just the one that he never could get his hands on, despite his speed and his knowledge of, of those stages. But uh, I was watching some footage of it the other night and it was a, it looked, it was a cracking battle with a lot of very fast cars and drivers and a lot of local, those local Manx drivers as well. They, they know that place like the back of their hand. So it's, it isn't an easy rally to go to for anybody. No, but, uh, you, you know, my target was get, getting back to a world championship uh, team and into the world championship. And I knew uh, there was not many chances, you know, to, to prove that uh, uh, people want, should pick me again. And uh, uh, all the other drivers, you know, they, they have been like longer term contracts and, and you know perfectly, you know, where you could get or where you couldn't get. And uh, especially uh, after 96, uh, when uh, Toyota started developing again, but they had another year where they said, hey, we are not going to rally. I mean, the Japanese said, we, we ban ourselves for one more year. And that was even more difficult because you see, you know, you're, now you're really getting, getting late. You know, you cannot wait two years and then get back in a car and you're competitive to anyone else. So you need to get back in a, in a car and you get practice, get testing, get get rallies, so that you are competitive. And uh, and that was getting difficult at that point. That concludes part one of our interview with Armin Schwartz. Part two continues next week with the two-liter WRC era. This time with Ford, Skoda, and Hyundai. Thanks for listening so far, and goodbye.